0: You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime.
1: Of several years, Vince and I, along with our co host Joe, produced a gaming podcast devoted to stories and games. Further Lore was a lot of fun to record as it allowed us to dive into characters and stories from games which we played. We also discussed various crossovers, such as novels written in the world of various games. And thanks to our other podcast, Comic Book Informer, we also got to discuss how games lent themselves quite well to comic books at times. Now we get to discuss several movies based on games, in this case, animated movies from two Bioware games, Dragon Age and Mass Effect. Now, Bioware, the company behind these IPs, has always embraced such diversity, having produced full-length novels and comic books for both of these games. In most cases, we've been very impressed. Bioware knows how to create gripping stories and characters. Now, I'm curious how you felt about both of these, because I have to say, I really had mixed feelings.
0: Yeah. Mixed feelings is a very good interpretation. I mean, I'll say it flat out. I really didn't like the Dragon Age
1: movie. (laughs) Really? Because of the two, I got to say, that's the one that I actually enjoyed the most. And from a, from a, technical standpoint looking at it and breaking down the various elements though it certainly was flawed in a lot of ways I actually preferred it over the Mass Effect one this is going to be an
0: interesting episode isn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah so the two in question are Dragon Age Dawn of the Seeker and Mass Effect Paragon Lost they're both animated movies both of them from Bioware and Funimation and Mass Effect also was worked on by Production IG Now, the thing to put out there right away, because some of the people who listen to this podcast might not be gamers. You might have come to listen to us from our comic book podcast or any other way. So you might not be gamers. The thing to put out there right away is that our opinions to a certain degree will have been influenced by the fact that we played these games and in most cases actually enjoyed them. Okay, there... so that's why
0: you didn't like the Mass Effect. Really, <laughs> really.
1: <laughs> there were some flaws, certainly, but we have enjoyed those games and the worlds that are created therein. Or, in the case of Mass Effect, the universe. There's there's a lot of good to be had in those IPs. Be it the the type of characters that you find there, the various like in the case of Dragon Age, the, the all of the political stuff going on and the stuff with the chantry, which is their religious order. There's a lot of depth in both of these IPs. So that's again, important to note there that we enjoy those. Now that's not going to completely blind us to crap. (laughs) If something is crap, well, it's crap. And there was still some of that as much as I enjoyed watching these, I would be hard pressed to recommend these even to die-hard Dragon Age and Mass Effect fans.
0: I would mostly agree with that, and I definitely wouldn't recommend either of them to somebody stepping into these universes for the first time.
1: Yeah, well, I and I, even if somebody said, "Well, I like animated shows. Are these worth watching?" I'd be like, "Yeesh." <laughs> You can do better. Maybe, yeah. If you're looking at an hour and a half that you have to spend, I could suggest some other animated shows that'll really do a lot more for you. Let's start off with Dragon Age. Now, this one was released in uh, 2012, uh, February for the Japanese version and the English one on Blu-ray and DVD came out in May. It's got again. We're not exaggerating here. <laughs> we say it's they're not that great. The Rotten Tomatoes audience score. There isn't even a review score. Is forty four percent. The IMDb rating is five point nine. This is not a very well reviewed and liked show by by a great many people. Some terms that you need to know, just so that you can understand some of what's happening in here, is there is the chantry, which is the religious order in in this world. There's the Templar Order, and the this is a, a military force within the Chantry, which basically um, keeps the mages, because there's sorcery in this game, in this world, so it keeps the mages in the world in check, whether they're hunting rogue apostates or they're keeping the mages in the Cir- Circle of Magi in check, kind of thing. Then you have the Seekers of Truth. It's kind of like a clandestine, a secretive, investigative, interrogative, Force that kind of roots out corruption, and they protect the chantry from internal and external threats. Basically, think CIA, FBI, and IAB all rolled into one.
0: Nobody expects
1: the Seekers of Truth. What? Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Yes. Okay. Okay. Sorry, you come off guard. I'm going. What the hell is you? What are you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> Isn't that kind of the point? Okay. Uh, didn't expect it. And then you have the Circle of Myagi, which is the the mages that are any mage. Basically, even if, as soon as they're discovered that they have signs of, of mag- magical abilities, are ushered off to this this tower, and they're trained or either made tranquil, which is basically kind of zombified. The story here is of a young seeker, and her name is Cassandra Pendagast. And of course, she's going to be this attractive seeker and typical male wearing armor that's ninety percent of the movie. Overall, I liked the art style in this because it kind of felt like concept art at points instead of fully realized art. I had I had a lot of issues with the overall
0: design aesthetic here. I mean, you had a lot of the character models, especially you know the faces, and even some of the costumes were like you know, a more anime, almost like cell shaded style. But then you had a lot of, like, the gothic stuff, like the armors and the architecture that was a more detailed style to it. And especially, like, when you had a character wearing one of those suits of armor and it it was, like, two different art styles. And honestly, like, the textures weren't even very good resolution in a lot of cases. Like, the backgrounds were really low-res, like, for me here. like It, it looked like a bad blue-screen movie, where the the actors, you know, the, the, the CGI characters were rendered on their own, and then just kind of pasted into a background. Like it, it had no cohesion for me.
1: And see, I thought that actually Mass Effect was even worse for that, because it, it did what we used to see in animated shows, you know, ten years ago, maybe five, ten years ago, where... 3d tech uh, work animation done strictly on computers wasn't you know as fully realized as it is now so people used it for um, cars or for different things like that so they left there's this blend of traditional animation and then hard cuts to 3d animation of whether it's not even or very whatever. good 3d animation yeah <laughs> and so those i find that much more jarring which is why i was a lot more forgiving of the dragon age stuff which isn't to say that it was good i'm just saying i was more forgiving of it than of the mass effect stuff simply because the mass effect when it's that jarring between 3d computer work and traditional it just blows it for me
0: what really bugged me a lot about Dragon Age is you could tell they actually put like a lot of time and choreography and nice animation into the fight scenes. And at least for me, it looked like they completely checked out for everything else. Like I, I seriously had to pause the movie and walk away for a few minutes the first time I saw a horse.
1: It was so bad. <laughs> OK, getting back to the story. So this young seeker, basically, you find you're, you're following in her throughout the story there is um, a conspiracy that's going on within the Chantry and there's a young mage that's been discovered and you don't know why but basically everybody wants to get their hands on her and essentially brainwash her into doing what they want you later find out it's because she can speak to dragons and well obviously it's dragon age dragons exist in this world so she and her mentor are actually taking this young girl away after she'd been essentially confiscated, kind of thing, and just so that nothing can happen to her. And they come across a band of blood mages. There's a huge fight. And of course they get their hands on this young mage, the mentor dies. And so you have Cassandra on her own with, of course, a mage who just happens to show up. He's not a blood mage. though so he's just a regular old garden variety mage. And so that's where you have the beginning of this terrible buddy cop trope Oof. that is annoying as all hell. And so you find out as they go back to speak to the, again, the the head of the Seekers, that he believes them that there is this conspiracy going on and it goes fairly high. From there, they have to prove what's going on. There's battles against the Templars. There's battles against the Blood Mages leading to this huge battle with Dragons that are going to be attacking the 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 what's her name the divine the divine, the divine Beatrix yeah Beatrix the so I just can't remember her full name. What? It's not you that put more it matters. This than I yes, did. <laughs> uh, and then you have this freaking dragon parkour thing going on, bouncing between <laughs> dragons. It, it's a hell of a show at the end in terms of like choreography for final fight scenes there's dragons and shit going on. There's a lot to it. The, I thought that, see, having played the two dragon age games, as well as, you know, the various DLC and stuff like that, there was really not that much that was original here. Um, I, I would have been more right with, you know, the conspiracy going on and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Had they not decided to fall on the buddy cop thing between her and And the mage, and you know damn well that it's going to become a a romantic thing towards the end. Had they chosen not to go that route, I would have been more forgiving of various things that were going on in the story. For me, it was –
0: and I'm usually the one that's more forgiving of these things than you are. Just every single story beats, like, dripped of cliché. Yeah. It was – every single thing was uh, – I've seen this before. I've seen – you know they're going to jump off the cliff. Like you know yeah. you know they're going to get betrayed. You know this – you know they're going to get framed for the murder. Like every single story beat, I knew what was going to happen before it happened. I, I'm not going to lie. At one point about halfway through the film, as I was watching it on my laptop, I went over into another tab and renewed my driver's license. It's <laughs> like, like I don't actually need, need to, to see, watch yeah. this. <laughs> It was, it was just so many aspects of the story were – I don't want
1: – I want no, to say frustrating
0: say but not because the the actual storytelling was frustrating me. Just because I know that it could have been done so much better within this universe and I – Looking at who they got to write it, like I don't see any of the actual bioware people were terribly involved with the story development on here. Like, it almost seems like they just passed off the IP and, you know, high fived on the way out the door, and yeah. that was the extent of their involvement. But it it was just very disappointing across the board.
1: Yeah, see, I can't imagine that David Gator had much to do with this. David Gator being the lead writer for Dragon Age. And he actually penned at least two novels that are set in I don't know if there's more than two, but uh, at least two because I read two of them and they were. I think there's more than two, but not amazing. written by him. Amazing, they were phenomenal. David Gator's an amazing writer. So again, it's one of those like you said, we look at it and we can see what should have been, not just what could have been, but what should have been, and and it's not like they were lacking for voice talent either. The the voice work was actually. It was good. Some of the characters not, you know, as inspired, but some of them. I mean, they got Colleen Clinkenbeard to do Cassandra. I love her. She does a lot of voice work for different movies and games and different things. Uh, again, the the it rung hollow throughout, not just because of the story and the art, like you were saying as well. For me, another thing that I noticed, which points to very cheap design work, very cheap production value, is that I notice sound a lot, which is obvious because I do editing of podcasts and I've done editing of music podcasts. I pay attention to to sound a lot. And if you listen to this movie, you'll notice so many sounds missing. Mm-hmm. There's next to no ambient sound at all throughout. There's next to no musical score there's a lot missing from sound i mean when you're listening to several people walking in armor i mean you can hear footsteps but not the armor when they kneel or get up you don't always hear armor Uh, and the same can be said of a lot of things like there's one scene where cassandra and her mage buddy are on horses riding through the forest and the voices are are almost crystal clear, which, again, they no doubt did that just so that you can hear everything they're saying. But you can barely hear hooves. And it's not until they're part way across the screen that you can finally hear the hooves a little bit. It just creates this vacuum of sound where it, it feels like such a hollow experience.
0: Yeah. I, I, the sound especially... And- with uh, like all, the, all the all the art direction issues that I mentioned before, it felt like watching a really bad cutscene from an old video game. And it, knowing that this was based on a video game, I just couldn't help but keep
1: drawing that comparison. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to Paragon Lost. So this one here, I couldn't even find <laughs> a Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic for it anywhere. <laughs> I don't know if anybody knows this thing exists. The IMDB rating is 5.7, so (laughs) worse than Dragon Age, which is saying a lot. This one takes place between Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3. Now, if you've never played those games, they are basically set in a large universe where due to some discoveries of certain artifacts that allow you to travel exceptionally fast. The universe kind of opened up and humanity has been bouncing around to various planets and and star systems and whatnot. This story follows an Alliance Marine by the name of James Vega. Now he's not in Mass Effect 2, however he is in 3 and he has a fairly important role in Mass Effect 3 because in that game, you play as a character by the name of Commander Shepard, but what is most important is your team, your squad that you work with, and you develop friendships and, in some cases, romantic bonds with members mm-hmm. of your squad. So, some cases, shoot them in the face or nah, throw them it, off it, a building. It, it varies, know. yeah. What, whatever yeah. you feel is necessary yeah. at the time. If, if you're Vince, carry around lighter fluid and a lighter because you're going to set some of these people on fire. Um, James Vega is... A fairly important character, and though I didn't do as much with him as a squad member, I do know that his character is fairly solid. I know that Joe really enjoyed it. I can't remember if you did a lot with him.
0: I I, I did everything there was yeah. to do in the game. So yeah, I, while he wasn't as well developed as some of the long time cast yeah. members, I mean, for his role in the game, I felt I. Like, he added an interesting wrinkle of, you know, the younger reflection of Shepard.
1: Right. I see. I was never really that crazy about the character myself. So it's not that he rubbed me the wrong way. It's just, I still found let's him be honest. Sort of, it was bland. the stupid faux There was some of that too. Let's be honest, <laughs> <laughs> which is in this as well. So anyways, this is early on in James Vegas career in the early on. You see a battle with what are known to be, Krogans. They're basically think Klingons, except bigger and even more mean. And because of a battle against some of these guys which Vega orchestrates and, and winds up saving his squad because of, of choices that he makes, he is basically set on an upward career path from then on. However, he is, after this is done, and he gets a, a little, you know, he gets medal and whatnot, he and his squad are set to protect a settlement and they think that this is a, a waste of their time. And for several years, nothing happens on there. But eventually it becomes a site that is infested by what are known to be the collectors. And us kind of think of a, an insectoid race. And they go and they collect human bodies to turn into a, a DNA sludge kind of thing that they use to create things with and to power things and whatnot. So the collectors come and they're taken up everybody from this settlement. And so you wind up having Vega and his crew having to once again go into battle, although this is a much more intricate battle where they have to fight this force that they know very little about. The thing about the Mass Effect IP again is that you wind up having a squad, a crew that you have to work with. That's important for that IP. And you can clearly see that here because it's not just Vega doing everything it's his crew and working with the various people and you have the different races as well the the Asari love interest you also have the return of the Cage Krogan which they let out so that he can help them escape eventually and it's again it has a it has a very it has a feel of Mass Effect it feels very much like a Mass Effect game at point and also because some of what happens here Is point blank what we saw in Mass Effect 3? I was waiting for the little prompt to come up to choose. Yeah, really, Paragon. (laughs) Yeah, it is. You're watching this and you're going, like, did they just point blank rip off? what happens in the game to the point of even the the crew splitting up. Some of them go here, some of them go here. And then when you get the difficult choice that has to be made, save the settlement survivors or save the Asari, it's just that, like you were saying, I watch it with my son, and it's like he's waiting for the little prompt to come at the corner of the screen telling you which to choose. But too much of the story felt like a ripoff of what we've already seen. So as somebody who played the game, it was even less enjoyable.
0: See, I actually enjoyed, I don't want to say I like, I really liked it, but I overall enjoyed the movie. Now, some of that may have had to do with the fact that I watched this right after I watched Dragon Age and we, we know how I felt about that movie. So I I liked a lot of the stuff here. I I liked not necessarily how it was kind of aping the, the, plot progression from the games but the way they actually you know put vega into those shepherd like situations and in the game you know you as the player you always feel confident in your decision because you know you're the one that made the decision and since you know shepherd is your avatar he's confident in the decision that you made him choose whereas we see with vega we see you know repercussions from his decisions and how it affects him emotionally and i really liked Seeing actual consequences for the choices for the characters, which I don't think we got too much of in the game other than, you know, you're alive or you're dead.
1: Well, Shepard was a lot more sure of himself, too. So he's a very different kind of character. As
0: he had to be as the player avatar.
1: Yeah, yeah. But even if he wasn't, I mean, you could always make it so that he's not as self-assured. But the type of character that he is, especially after everything that he'd been through in the first two games, by then, I mean, dude's been dead. Okay and put back together. (laughs) So everything else, pretty much small potatoes at that point. Whereas Vega is a lot more naive as well, and not really sure about himself or his role. So like once he's in the heat of battle, he's quick on his feet to think and to figure things out, certainly, but he's not as sure about the decisions that he makes later on. Now that said, and and this brings up an important point too, One of the things that I had a problem with as well, which goes right back to production value once again, is that the main story, the the main decision that causes such a problem for him at the end, save the settlers or save the Asari who was outside of the collector ship and hurtling down towards the planet and whatnot, because it was so poorly executed in terms of actually showing you what's going on so that you can get a sense of time as well. It looks like he wouldn't have had time to save the settlers anyway. He chooses to, you know, send the ship off to go do whatever, but it's blowing up almost immediately.
0: Yeah, I I actually thought that he was so indecisive he ended up getting saving neither of them. Yeah, and like at first I was like, oh, that's actually really interesting yeah. plot point. And then you know they turned and went, no, he actually managed to magic his way outside of the ship. But like, I I was really into it when I thought that he chose nothing.
1: Yeah, so it's it's again piss poor design like production value, which screws up the the how you're seeing like. The time frame of what would have been possible, and so when you're looking at it, you're like, there's no way in hell he could have saved the people anyway in the ship, so whatever, and then going back again to to the um to the look of the movie, I thought this one sounded better the mm. the production value of the sound was better, but the look of it, because of the jarring separation between hand drawn and three d work every time you saw 3d work it completely sa- snapped me out of the story and not that it was you know that it was hard to get sucked in <laughs> if i managed to even the least bit as soon as it switched over that was it i was right back out again and i hate when a movie does that
0: you see i i don't disagree with you as far as the juxtaposition of cgi and hand drawn but i was really into the hand drawn style though like i I've seen so many things put out by production IG, you know, Ghost in the Shell, Fuli Kuli, a lot of that stuff. And, like, at some points I was a little annoyed as a fan because I'm like, oh, the Krogan's are kind of off model and, you know, stuff like that. But the actual animation, like, they – was really cool, especially in in a lot of the combat scenes where you have – What's his name? Essex flying around and throwing his biotic powers and all that. A lot of the, the gunplay was pretty fun. Like The overall animation itself I, I felt was pretty good though.
1: Well, it was better than Dragon Age. Yes, without a doubt.
0: Well, <laughs> come on. <clears throat> no. uh, the one thing that like bugged me the most though was the scale of the characters. I think Vega actually grew two feet over the course of the movie. (laughs) At the end when he's uh, with the Asari and the sniper guy, he looks like he's nine feet tall. Like the sniper barely comes up to
1: his armpit. (laughs) Well, there's the scene where the Asari is leaning her head against which should be his shoulder blade, but it's even like, it's like the lower. Small yeah, it's like, <laughs> come on. Like, he was big in the, the game, certainly. But even then, he was he was big, he was muscular. He size. wasn't <laughs> that tall. Well, I don't know that I'd go that far. <laughs> yeah, and
0: it, like, I don't know if they made him huge or just made everybody around him small, but it really bugged me a lot of times. I was like, it it, it looked comical
1: at points. Well, some of them... Too, some of his squad look like kids. And I'm sure that part of that is the anime thing where everybody's Mm -hmm. a kid. And part of it is that they wanted to draw on the idea of, you know, young men going to war are often young men going off to war. So you see that these guys, they're not battle hardened. These guys are young men and women. Just this is like their first experience in battle kind of thing. Except for the pilot. That guy was awesome. Yeah. And then you have the. Cerberus agent and Cerberus is kind of a secretive organization within the Mass Effect universe that are, they're basically the KKK of the future, (laughs) (laughs) except with humans versus white people. They think that humans should be, have the run of the universe, that they're better than everybody else. And you know, things like that. So it presents this very clear sleazy organization that you can hate. And you don't find out that this guy is Cerberus until much later on. And then you find out that he's actually working with the collectors. If you're watching this and you never played the game, you might think, okay, that's really reaching. It's actually not in terms of the (laughs) game. Yeah, it actually, yeah, it actually fit perfectly. And what I liked about that, I actually did like that element because he's this young, brash Yahoo of a character versus who we got used to in the game, who is much more, Polished, sure of himself, and, and whatnot, which is not what you get from from this character. This character is just again young and arrogant, and to the point of even joking around a little bit. And I like that; it created a uh, kind of a different aspect to to a different face to slap on Cerberus.
0: Yeah, and like, I, at first I, I, like, I obviously you know something was up with the guy, but I loved how he was the one that sold out Vega. Like, when he uh, when he fired the cannon. Yeah. And, you know, the crew, like, was was discussing what happened. And then he, he's the one that just put it out there. He's like, oh, yeah, he, he fired it at half power and set everything off. Like, that character-wise and what we know from, like, the way Cerberus operates and it, it was really – like, looking back on that like, once the reveal was done and then seeing, you know, where he was popping up throughout the movie and the roles he played, it actually did take on a different meaning. So –
1: So that is the two of them. You got anything, uh, any final thoughts on them?
0: While I would not recommend anybody at all (laughs) ever (laughs) watch Dragon Age, I would recommend the Paragon Lost to Mass Effect fans. I, I feel it does tell an interesting story and definitely fills in a
1: backstory from a character who needed it. Yeah, but then the only thing about that, again, is going back to what I said, that it's a story we already know because it's just the story as it happened to Shepard in Mass Effect 3 with a few changes.
0: I still think it was worth watching.
1: Okay. Well, that's good. I personally would not recommend these two. Again, I wouldn't recommend these two to, to just your average um Fan of movies, animated movies, and whatnot. I certainly would, not recommend it to somebody who's not even a fan of animated shows. (laughs) But even if you played the games, I'd be hard pressed to say like you'd have to be pretty diehard fan of both IPs. And then I'd say, yeah, watch it. I mean, it's uh, it's going to take up an hour and a half of your time for each one, and then you'll get a little bit of backstory that you You might find interesting while you are (laughs) watching. Yeah. So, and then I mean, it it is a little subjective. The I actually preferred, which isn't to say it was phenomenal, but I preferred the art style of Dragon Age over Mass Effect, and you feel the opposite. So again, people might watch these, and actually, if they were fans of the the games, really enjoy them. Mm -hmm. So that is going to wrap it up. It's a shorter episode, but I was expecting as much based on <laughs> on the material. We will make up for that, however, in a few weeks when we are going to have a Sherlock episode. I have wanted to do this for a while now, and we're going to be discussing the Sherlock movies, Sherlock TV shows. We're going to touch on elementary as well, and maybe some other stuff. So that is going to prove to be a fantastic episode. Until then, leave us your comments in, uh, on Popcorn Run and let us know what you might like us to watch. And we'll talk to you soon.
0: For more movie, TV, and anime reviews, please make sure to stop by PopcornRonin.com and leave the guys your thoughts in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out their comic book informer podcast and Internet Dragons TV gaming videos. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.